Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Craig Perry, who's a serial entrepreneur in the mining resources space, um, starting many mining companies during his career, working across, uh, across a broad range of commodities with companies including Tiger Realm Minerals, G Resources, Oxiana, uh, and more recently, these the resources, ISO Energy, Next Gen Energy, EMR Capital, um, and probably a few more. Um, Craig is a geologist by background and believes the greatest wealth in the resource sector is generated at the point of discovery of a mineral deposit and has focused his career and business interests on exploration. Um, I wanted to get Craig onto the podcast to share his journey and his fortune um, and to provide some advice to those who want to sort of better their career and unleash their potential. So that's welcome, Craig, to the podcast. How are you doing, Craig? G'day, Rob. Yeah, really well. Good to be uh, good to be with you, mate. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. I know you. Um, I don't think you do too much uh, podcast or media, um, so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to uh, to do this. So, as we always start all these podcasts, I wonder if you can give us a background about yourself. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you've got a, a distinguished career, so um, take your time um, and tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, we're sure. You look. I, I suppose I'm a lucky fella. Um, <laughs> we've had uh, a few few successes. You know, as you say up front, they're a geologist by by training. Although it took me a little bit of time to get to geology. I I joined the army out of uh, out of school. Uh, to uh, you know, didn't come from a terribly wealthy background, and, and the army offered the opportunity for a scholarship to get through university, so that helped. And um, and then uh, and then uh, started studying accounting and financing, but found that pretty pretty darn boring. So I ended up um, working as a field assistant. I actually wanted to, to start a business in China back in the early nineties, and knew I needed some capital to do that. So I started working on drill rigs and things in uh, around Kalgoorlie in the eastern goldfields of Australia, and. Um, and found an affinity for rocks and geology and, and mineral exploration and um, went back, studied geology and was very, very fortunate in the sort of, uh, you know, the, the depths of two, uh, two troughs, uh, uh, you know, 20-odd years ago back in the late 90s, uh, but, but Rio Tinto was um, uh, offered me an opportunity to join them, so I had eight years with Rio Tinto before going out on my own and starting a number of companies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say you can carry on because uh, obviously I know you've uh, started up a number of companies and uh, I suppose from that and obviously it seems that you just fell into fell into the mining industry, what made you then move, I suppose, from Rio and then move through your career and then want to start all these businesses that you've been involved in? Yeah, look, I suppose, you know, I always had that sort of entrepreneurial bent. My, you know, I grew up in a little country town, but my father was very entrepreneurial and started a number of businesses and, um, you know, I saw saw what he was doing uh, and always liked that side of things, you know, starting something, building something, growing something. Um, uh, and uh, the bit that I haven't figured out yet is the exit, uh, really, but, um, but that'll come in, in time. 
Um, so, you, you know, I always enjoyed that aspect of things. And I think when I started with Rio Tinto and, you know, it's, I've now got a, a lot of fairly young people, hungry, bright young people working with me. And there's a few things that I like to tell them. But one of them is that, um, uh, you know, you need it. When you start a career in any industry, I think you need a foundation. And Rio Tinto gave me that very strong, both technical and, and commercial foundation in, in what, what would come later. But I always had a view, you know, that was a stepping stone to, you know, getting experience, building up my network, and then going out and doing doing things on my own. Um, what's the, the art or the secret of building a successful company um, or even a, a team that you've been involved in? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? Well, you know, in your question there, I suppose there's a bit of a hint as to what you need, and and a lot of the time it comes down to people. Um, uh, you know, you need a very very good team, and I think, you know, my one of my old uh, old uh, business partners and mentors, indeed, uh, Owen Hegarty, of course, who's you know a mining legend. Um, you know, Owen was just so very very good to me, but. Uh, Owen, um, you know, always sort of talked about when it comes to building a team, you know, you want people who are, you know, firstly, you know, good, uh, consummate at their day job, um, you know, passionate. You need to have that passion to sort of give you the drive to keep going when during the lean and tough times um, and really make the most of things. So um, there, there's that. And then the other thing is, you, you know, you want people around you who are, as he would say, a good bloke gender non-specifically um so you know and and that's sort of something that i carry with me now there's a lot of people that work around us here that that have been you know with me for for certainly the last five or six years if not longer and um uh you, you know finding those people that will stick with you that you can trust that you know are technically capable commercial uh, and competent people um so that that's crucial and then i suppose you know if you go you know what I'm finding at the moment, we've got 22 companies uh, at the moment. I think um, 13 of them are listed as we speak. We're about to list another one. Our One of our clean energy businesses, Vita Carbon, uh, we're about to take that public in the next few months. Um, and, you know, what, what I've done there, you know, some of my partners here are really bright, hungry young people uh, that are determined to make a mark. And, and what I found is you sort of just wind them up a bit and let them go. Uh, and they can do some phenomenal things. So really, just giving them the support to 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 go that that's been a big part of um, uh, you know, my success. If you could say I've had any success. <laughs> Talking obviously about mentors and Owen, we've had on the podcast <coughs> quite a few years ago. Actually, um, obviously, I take it you've had other mentors as well in 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 within your career. Um, obviously with maybe different levels, different um, skills and experiences these mentors might have. How, I mean, for instance, Owen, how did you, how did Owen become a mentor to you? And if, if some are, and I wouldn't say necessarily younger uh, mining professionals listen to this podcast, it could be even more experienced uh, mining professionals. How can they get to have access to people like that? I mean, again, how, how did you, how did Owen be a, a mentor to you? Yeah, look, at, well, part of that was good fortune. I suppose, you know, working at Rio Tinto, Owen was sort of ex-Rio Tinto. Um, I actually got recruited to Oxiana. Oxiana, of course, what a fabulous story. You know, he took that company from a $6 million market cap to over $6 billion by the time we merged with Zinefex. 
uh, creating sort of a $10 billion company. Of course, it got caught up in the GFC and a few ructions there, but, you know, fabulous, fabulous success story. You know, they, I think the building of that Sepon mine added about 20% to the GDP overnight when they turned the mine on. So, you know, tremendous, tremendous outcome. But, um, uh, you know, Owen had had that sort of grown uh, Oxiana into a $6 billion beast uh, and was looking to take it into bulk commodities. And I'd had a sort of track record in Rio Tinto of sort of leading bulk commodity exploration and business development. Um, and anyway, you know, a friend of mine, Rob Curtis, who's now uh, part of our team at EMR Capital, um, and, and one of my very, very best friends um, introduced me to Owen and we just hit it off. Uh, he uh, and Tony Manini as well. Tony Manini's sort of there with Owen at uh, EMR and another dear friend and mentor of mine. Um, and, you know, I think they just saw in me perhaps, a, you know, an interest in, uh, in the business, serious, hardcore interest in the business uh, and enthusiasm and, you know, by that stage, I think I've been with Rio Tinto eight years and in the industry for about 12, uh, 10 years, um, you know, enough experience that they could see that I would add add some value to what they were doing. And, you know, so they were very, very kind to me and, and so very supportive. And I think, you know, if there's something that I'm doing at the moment that's probably a little bit new to me, it's trying to do more of that. Um, you know, we've got, as I say, I, I, you know, I've got uh, five other partners here at Inventor Capital. Um, all of them are sort of 35 and under, um, brilliant young people, uh, and just, you, you know, nudging them in the right direction, giving them a bit of guidance and, and support wherever I can is something that I enjoy more than just about anything else I'm doing at the moment. There's another example there, you know, there's a young bloke from the Taltan First Nation, of course, at Skeena, where I'm chairman. Uh, we've developed a tremendous relationship with Chad Day uh, and the Taltan people. Chad's the uh, Chad, well, another great example. He's only about 35 and he's the chief of what I think is the most sort of commercially successful First Nations band here in Canada. Um, but anyway, there's, there's a fellow there who's a good friend of Chad's and, and works uh, with us at Skeena uh, called Cody Penner. And I've, I've, I've taken a lot of time to, you know, spend time with Cody because um, you can see the enthusiasm, the the intelligence of the fella, and uh, you know he's going to be something big in the industry once he gets going. And um, so I really like working with those sorts of people and seeing them flourish. And uh, so it's nice to sort of pass that down because, um, you know, Rick Yates, uh, who who started RSG, um, Tony Manini and Owen Hegarty were just so very generous with their time and uh, knowledge. So, um, you know, I love that aspect of things. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned those particular five people. Apart from enthusiasm, which seems you do need, what other attribute is there? A common attribute that they all have. So again, any any engineers, younger, might whether mine engineers, geologists, is there a commonality around those types of people that you think they possess something that will make them sort of great in the future? Yeah, what a great question. I think, um, look, that that enthusiasm is what sort of shines through and gets people in the door to start with. So that's so, you know, mission critical when you're young. Um, and, and curiosity, uh, you know, people demonstrating their curiosity and interest in the business or the project or, or, or whatever it is, um, that's what, you know, that sort of, uh, that captures my attention in someone um, you know, I, I, I should mention that uh, my my our managing partner here and my main partner is a, a young bloke called Michael Connett. Mike's only 34. Mike came to me about five years ago with a project idea. And, um, you know, very quickly, that that enthusiasm, interest in, in the business, 
Uh, and, you know, he, he wasn't terribly knowledgeable about the business. He's now probably more knowledgeable than me after the last five years of experience. But, um, the, you know, seeing that sort of drive and determination and enthusiasm was was so critical. And now we're locked at the hip forevermore, you know, um, best mates and business partners. And um, so I, I think the sort of commonality, you know, you need, as I mentioned up front there with Alan's sort of checklist of what you need in a person, um, you need to be technically good and, and interested, you know, good at your day job. Um, so that, you know, you have to tick that box in a big way. And I think people have got to get the experience to do that. Um, so that that's okay. Um, but, uh, you, you know, that drive, enthusiasm and, and curiosity around uh, a business is what's critical to me when I'm, I'm looking at, you know, people and who I'd work with. Yeah. Um, what important lessons have you learned during your career um, that has led you to obviously the success that you've achieved to date? A lot of hard ones. Um, look, uh, you, you know, there's a couple of key things that have shone through. You, you know, again, going back a bit further, going back sort of 15, 20 years ago um, as a sort of young geologist, um, you know, paying attention to sort of people with experience, learning from them, you know, being as curious as you possibly can and as learning as much as you can as quickly as you can was so very important. And, you know, things like taking, being willing to take perhaps a, not a risk, but but do things that other people might not do that demonstrate your commitment to a company, to a, an opportunity. Um, you know, after two years of being with Rio Tinto in Perth and spending a heck of a lot of time in the field, uh, you know, they moved me to Chile. And I remember that when they moved me to Chile uh, to Antofagasta, um, I actually had to take a pay cut from Perth and, and it made it quite difficult to pay my mortgage back in, in Perth. But, but you know, we took that risk and did it and benefited massively from it. You know, I got to know porphyry geology and uh, a heck of a lot about another country and, and lived abroad and learned Spanish. So that, that all helped. Um, so, you know, be, being willing to take a risk open to ideas, I think is sort of, is, is very important. And then, you know, now you get to sort of this stage where, you know, unfortunately I've got the beard to look a bit geological, uh, but I don't do much geology anymore, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you, you know, more into the sort of corporate realm and, and raising capital financial markets type of stuff. And I think once you get to this stage, what do I tell my guys is that, um, you know, in our industry, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad actors and miscreants and, and um, you know, people who rip shareholders off. Uh, my message to the team, uh, all of our guys, is that, you know, there's one thing that you have to guard very jealously, and that's your reputation because it's a cyclical business. You know, things go up, things go down. I've sort of made a fortune and lost a couple of fortunes type of thing over time. Uh, and the only thing you've got to rebuild on is that sort of technical knowledge uh, your network and your reputation. And so you must guard that jealously. And that's, you know, I, I sort of instill instill that in in uh, in all of our people. Mm. And I suppose reputation obviously is important because you can lose your reputation overnight. You can have all the success in the world and, and then lose your reputation over one, one thing. Um, and that can happen overnight. And it takes a long time to rebuild that yeah, and pretty, trust as well. Pretty bloody hard to get back. That's right. Yeah. Um, how do you put yourself in a position to maybe become, I suppose, uh, in a more senior executive role or non-executive director? So you're in a position to be approached uh, to join a company, um, whether it's a board or maybe a CEO. How 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 do people position themselves from your experience? 
Yeah, good good question. Look, I, I you know as a as a young bloke, I was always very hungry, and I was sort of you know uh, determined to sort of climb the corporate ladder as quickly as I can, and then get out on my own and start building companies. I, I don't. There's no sort of uh, there's there's no what I found out is that there's no easy way and, and no way to rush. But you know, it took me probably ten years before you know I went from sort of a geologist, junior, junior geologist on drill rigs and taking samples to uh, project geologist, senior geologist, and then, um, uh, you know, leading sort of global exploration projects and the like, and then joining Oxiana. Um, that helped because then I got sort of more exposure, very hard in a big company to work your way up. You sort of got to do it for 25 or 30 years before you start seeing the board at someone like, at a company like Rio Tinto. So to go to Oxiana and join Owen and the team, you get more exposure to um, to those people. And, and I think, you know that, that that's an important point. Spend you, you know spend a bit of time seeking out those people and talking to those people and demonstrating your sort of capability to them. So not sort of brown nosing as it were, but you know building on your network um, is important. I think it does, but it just does take time. You know what I, I guess. But once you sort of get past the hurdle and start, you know, you become a CEO or a director of a company. Um, what I've found is that you end up with too many opportunities in a way. And as I say, you know, we've got 13 or 14 listed companies now, uh, 22 companies in total. And, you know, everyone wants me to be chairman of them at the moment. And I just can't. I don't have the bandwidth, don't have the time. And more than that, you know, the bloody uh, your major institutional investors won't let you do it. <laughs> so, um, but but once you get there, uh, you're in good shape. And I think, you know, as always, we, we get a lot of applications. Like I saw one come across my desk the other day uh, for, um, you know, someone unknown to me um, with a letter asking for a board position at Skeena. Um, you know, you're not really going to get anywhere doing that. There's no point. You you need to have known known those people, build up trust. You, you, you know, every now and then we'll find someone off LinkedIn or something like that. But usually it's people in our circle or just outside our circle that, you know, we can build a relationship with uh, and go from there. And I would say, you know, there's no substitute for being entrepreneurial yourself. If you want to be the CEO or a director, build a company and, and get out there and do it yourself, that's... That's been my solution. That's been the best way to sort of get exposure to that level. Yeah. And I suppose from what you just said, it could be a lot of networking. It's And, and I suppose people say people can be put in certain situations because they're lucky. I don't think luck does play a part in it, but because you put yourself in those positions, that's where the luck luck is. You're putting yourself out there and obviously going doing a lot of networking meet going to a lot of maybe conferences mixing with the, the likes of yourself and just doing that constantly and putting yourself in that picture will inevitably you might get a tap on the shoulder because you've been there you've expressed your interest you've demonstrated your capabilities and it's a I suppose it's just a constant process uh, that you go through yeah I think so I think so and, and you know being bold enough to to you know, ring a, a CEO or at a conference, go up and talk to a, a chairman or a, a chairperson or director. Um, you know, just be a little bit bold and get out there and demonstrate. People, you know, people won't um, won't uh, bite you. They, you know, I, I know I love those sorts of approaches and talking to young people about our business because I I love what we do. I think it's just so important to the world, providing sort of um, um, metals to a metal hungry world. Uh, is is what I love, and I love to talk to to young people about it. 
And you're going to get a load now after this. What has been your greatest achievement, um, maybe against all the odds? And how did you overcome those challenges that you faced? Oh, geez, I'd have to, you know, a bit sort of inward looking. If I if I had one great achievement, it's my two sons and, um, you know, seeing them turn into fine young men, um, you know. But uh, in the sort of corporate world, corporate life, look, I, you know, I, I think as I sort of mentioned in my LinkedIn profile, which you read a part of there, is that, um, you know, I think discovery is important. I think that the world, you know, today is, um, you know, we're moving away from oil and gas. We're going to sort of the electrification of the planet I, I think, you know, I, I'm sort of working. I think the mining sector, actually, this is a little bit off topic, but has, has got a branding issue, we, you know, a bit of a PR issue. Um, you know, we, I, I'd love to, for us to move away from calling mining mining and calling it more, um, you know, provision of uh, uh, green metal to a planet, uh, to the planet and to, to people who want to move away from the use of fossil fuels towards um uh electric vehicles and the like so uh but anyway that you, you know getting getting well off topic there i think um uh achievements you, you know that discovery the discoveries i've been involved in that's that's what i sort of um uh, hold dearest uh to you know because i know the world needs these deposits of you know i've been involved very very lucky very fortunate to have been involved in an iron ore discovery coke and coal copper uh, and now silver and gold in Mexico. And, you know, I really, really enjoy that aspect of the business making a discovery. It's such an exciting thing. Um, and then the other aspect, I think, is probably, you know, at Inventor Capital now, as I mentioned, we've got quite a few companies. I think we've probably created uh, in, in all of my companies sort of over, over, I don't know, six or $7 billion of value for our shareholders now. So that, that's been, um, you know, that, I, I love that aspect of it. Uh, and uh, and also, um, you know, building a team and working with 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 young people coming through. I think that's the thing that I probably enjoy most nowadays: uh, discovery and and working with good people. Um, so there, there, you know, if you could list achievements, it's uh, it's more about sort of, um, to my mind, the fact that I've got good young people that want to work with me you know that i'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mentioned about branding that that's an interesting. Um, comment you made changing the word mining to something else because I think mining sticks in everyone's mind outside of the industry to be a dirty a dirty word now to change people's perceptions of that is going to be very difficult however what's easier is to change the uh, change the word so it means a different perception and, and as you said that's I haven't heard anyone say that but yeah I get a lot when I interview obviously guests on the podcast occasionally we do speak about branding and everyone says it has mining does have a branding issue but calling it something different can maybe help that yeah that that's right i, I think so look at you know a part of me the cynic in me thinks that you know it's disingenuous to do that but you know you look at other industries um and uh you know, there's a degree, a degree of disingenuousness about what Tesla does. I think, you know, Elon Musk's been very upfront and says, you know, a heck of a lot of the power that powers our cars comes from dirty coal uh, and burning coal. But, you know, people still feel good that they're buying a Tesla despite charging it with coal-powered electricity. So, you know, people are willing to turn a blind eye to that. That's not what I'm saying. I, I actually think that, you know, what we're doing by mining copper 
effectively as sustainably as possible and this is one of the things one of the reasons we're focused in british columbia on our copper projects you know we've got a company called surge copper we've got Vizsla copper both focused here in british columbia is that um you know that provides us an opportunity to provide very low carbon copper um to to a copper hungry planet and the reason they're low carbon of course is because um you know we've got wonderful massive hydroelectric schemes here so some of the cheapest lowest carbon power on the planet um so i think more and more we need to start focusing on places where you can you, you can more sustainably uh develop projects uh and and provide those metals to um you know the 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 elements of life to a hungry market and um you know i think we'll move more and more towards that as time goes on people are starting to you know really focus on where they uh where the stuff they buy and use comes from yeah um who's been and i, I suppose you have answered this question but who has been the most influential person within the mining sector that has had the biggest effect on your career and obviously you have mentioned uh obviously Owen Hegarty um a few times has there been anyone else? Yeah, well, look, and Owen sort of front and centre. You know, there's, there's a gentleman there, Rick Yates, who was um, who built RSG and, and who I worked for in Kalgoorlie in the early '90s. And Rick really gave me my start in the industry, and and was just such a wonderful mentor and explained so much about the industry. So, uh, and Rick's a fantastic fella. Um, you know, more recently, uh, my 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 partner Mike Connett. Um, you know, I just love coming into the office every day and, and being with him and seeing his enthusiasm and drive. And, you know, uh, he's gone from sort of, um, you know, the periphery of the mining sector away in a way five years ago to now being one of the sort of new uh, serious leaders. Um, you know, he's built uh, Vizsla Silver into a serious company. I think we've now got a market capitalisation of a half a billion dollars. I think it'll be a multi-billion dollar company in the next few years. We've got, I think, the, the most exciting silver discovery, major silver discovery, an entire district uh, in Mexico at our Panuco project. Um, and, and seeing what he's doing there, seeing his enthusiasm, so, uh, you, you know, he, he's probably my biggest personal influence at the moment. Um, and uh, another friend of mine, Simon Smurlek, who uh, is the Chief Operating Officer of Osenko Engineering, again, a, another great friend. Uh, and to see how he leads a massive team, you know, I think he's got 3,500 employees working for him. Uh, he's probably built more mines than I visited. Um, you know, such a great sounding board. So to surround yourself by, or, or, well, I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded by uh, people of their cap uh, calibre and and, uh, and capability and so on. You know, I'm, I'm a, as I said up front, I'm a lucky fella. Yeah. Well, Michael, we have interviewed on the podcast. So those that are listening, um, scroll back. Might have been six months, nine months ago. But, yeah, scroll back and listen to uh, Mike Connett, who's uh, Silver. Silver. Uh, no, it's uh, Visa Resources. Uh, Visa Silver, that's it. Um, if you are if you were a graduating, uh, graduating geologist, geologist today, how would you sort of plan out your career? And what, and what would you do to get ahead? And, and I suppose it doesn't necessarily have to be a geologist. It could be a mine engineer or anyone that's coming through, that's basically graduated in, within a mining discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Look, at you know, I think probably the path I took was is a fairly well-trodden path. Try and get a job with a serious company or, or, or you know, one of the majors or mid-tier producers that can give you that really solid foundation 
uh, and potentially experience in other jurisdictions or other multiple projects. And then, and then you know, can demonstrate that sort of enthusiasm and curiosity, and and build from there. And um, but you know, one of the things that I really do like about our industry is that it does offer, if you're at all entrepreneurially minded, um, you know, it offers the opportunity to go out and do something yourself pretty early on in your career. Um, you know, you can stub your toe and not uh, you know struggle. And I have at times. You know, we've had a few companies that haven't gone as well as you would have hoped, um, but you know, it also gives you the opportunity to sort of do very, very well for yourself and your family and, uh, and as I say, contribute significantly to the planet um, with, you know, provision of metal. Um, I've got a couple more questions. Um, would you like to focus on any of the companies, obviously, that you're involved in um, and give us a, an overview of how things are progressing? Yeah, very, very quickly, I suppose. Um, you know, Vizsla Silver, keep an eye out for that. I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think it's it's the, the, the greatest silver discovery in the past 20 years on the planet, still undervalued. We have Vizsla Copper. We're on, on the hunt for some major copper, uh, copper projects at the moment. So some exciting news to come out of there. We've got a couple of fledgling new uh, companies as well, COSA, uh, which is listed here on the, the Venture Exchange. You know, we've got some copper projects in there, but I think we'll be doing something in uranium soon um, on that one. Uh, we have uh, Golden Shield. We're drilling down in Guyana at the moment. We've made a, a fabulous discovery there at our Marudi project. We put out a drill result the other day, 50 metres at 9.5 grams per tonne gold, and that's looking, and we've, we've put three more holes in there, and it's looking like the real deal, a, a, a true discovery. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, Vita Carbon is one of the sort of more interesting things we're doing. Vita, we raised $17 million back in December. Um, we're about to, to, to go out and look to raise probably $50 million as part of our IPO there. Uh, Vita Carbon, I think, sets itself apart as probably, you know, potentially the leader in um, the voluntary carbon offsets market in North America and Australia. Uh, so that's an exciting one. Skeena, of course, you know, we bought the, the SK Creek project off uh, Barrick. Um, we will have our feasibility study out on that in the next uh, next couple of months. And I think that's, um, you know, that's going to be a world-beating gold project as well. So that's very exciting. Uh, gold Bull Resources, Cherie was knocking on my door before Cherie's the CEO. We worked together at Rio Tinto uh, 18 years ago. We've got a fabulous um, deposit down there in Nevada called the Sandman Project. That we'll look uh, look to bring into development in the next couple of years, and Tin One Resources. A special shout out to Tin One Resources. I actually uh, the, the the little country town I came from. We started that company by staking ground around that tin district of north in uh, the New England area of northern New South Wales, and we've now acquired some serious projects in tin, and we love the outlook for tin. So, um, you know, that's a smattering. That's a few of them. <laughs> yeah, quite quite a few. Um, how do you see the, the mining industry developing over the next sort of five or 10 years? And what challenges do you think the industry will be facing, uh, whether that's good or bad? Uh, look, yeah, great question. I think that, um, you know, it's going to be the potentially the most exciting time for our industry ever. You know, the last boom, of course, was driven by a localised uh, set of conditions in a way in that it was the urbanisation of a lot of people from rural China to, to those big population centres in China that drove what was probably the largest mining boom in, in, in all of history. We saw metal prices increase anywhere from two to ten times. You know, in the case of copper, prices went from 70 cents to, you know, nearly $5 a pound. Um, 
driven by a localised effect in one country effectively. Uh, here, you have a global phenomena uh, of electrification of the planet and move, move away from fossil fuels, use of fossil fuels to power our energy needs to, um, you know, more sustainable means of, of uh, energy storage and transmission. And so I, the scale of this boom is global. Uh, the scale of the demand that's coming is going to be global. We're at the very thin end of the wedge at the moment. I think we're, we're you know, seeing a, we've seen a really good uptick in metal prices recently. But I think this is going to be the the, the mother of all booms. I think um, the next five years, this industry is going to be the place to be. Not many people, as our as my mate Cam Curry at Canaccord says, not no one's paying attention at the moment, Craig. And I say, Cam, well, they will soon. And and I think. You know, that last boom, it feels very much to me like we're at probably the 2004-05 stage. The next three years, uh, uh, to my mind and for our group, um, now's the time to put yourself, put your foot on as much metal as you can, particularly those battery metals of nickel, copper and silver and gold. And, you know, pretty much every metal is a, a sort of battery metal, of course, because uh, it's about to get crazy. I, you know, we've seen an underinvestment in the sector in the last five or ten years. Um, so I think that, that you know, that's going to be massive. And then the other component I must say is that, um, you know, I think as a sector, Historically, we haven't been terribly good at dealing with and working with First Nations groups, for example, uh, and that needs to improve. And you see what we're doing there at Skeena with the Taltan First Nation. Uh, you know, they've become partners. They've invested in the company and the project, and they've become true partners of ours. And I think we can do much better as an industry, and that's something that, that people should look out for is that, you know, that social licence to operate we're going to have to improve on that front and, you know, our group would like to be at the forefront of, of that that change as well. And lastly, what's the outlook for Craig Perry over the next uh, few years and maybe decade and beyond? Well, look, I you know, like my father, I don't think I'd ever retire. I sort of, uh, you, you know, I, I love what I do. I love this industry. I love the people I work with and, uh, you know, I'd like to be bloody sitting in this seat in the next uh, 30 years, maybe not working as as much, although, you know, I, some of my partners here would observe I'm probably not, not working as hard as I might have once worked, not doing 18 hours a day, 10 days a week type thing. But, um, you know, but, but continuing to do do what we're doing. And, uh, you, you know, as I say, I love that hunt at the chase, uh, the thrill of the chase, the hunt for, for mineral deposits and discovery. That uh, that gets me out of bed in the morning. Um so I'd say I'll continue to keep doing that, but maybe a little bit more time skiing and a bit more time on the beach with the family type of thing. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, do you, and I was, this, this, oh, that was the last question, but I've just got another question. Do you obviously want to take any of these deposits and see it right through to, to production and make whatever, I suppose, whatever company or commodity or project to make it sort of one of the biggest projects or uh, operation in the world obviously like for instance um visa for instance do you want to see it right through to the end and see it producing and become a, a world leader okay. is that an ultimate goal for you yeah very very much so you know I, i've always taken i had the great fortune of of being a co-founder of next gen energy and we discovered the giant arrow deposit true t1 Tier one project, um, uranium project up there in the Athabasca Basin. I always took the view that, you know, gee, we're in this industry, we've got nothing else 
better to go and do. You know, if you if if God gives you one of those, well, um, you know, stick with it for a long time and build it yourself. Um, and see your grandkids and their kids get dividends off the project. You know, I, I like that approach. And I think, you know, Visa Silver, I don't think, you know, a project of that quality, we're probably not going to get to hold on to it that long. But I would love to see us build, you know, what could potentially be the biggest uh, independent silver mining company in the world off the back of that project. And we could be involved in it for the next 20 or 30 years. I'd, I'd like nothing more than that. But, um, you know, of course... Uh, as demand grows, you know, and, and the scarcity of projects of that quality nature, uh, uh, you know, disappear. Sorry, they they become more rare. Um, you know, majors and producers want uh, more and more of those. So your chances of sticking something with something like a Panuco are much diminished. But um, you know, we take the view that we build the projects ourselves, and we'd like to be involved with them for the longer term. Yeah, Craig, really appreciate your time. Thank you for your your wisdom and obviously sharing your journey with us. Uh, I'm sure our audience would have got a lot from it and hopefully take a few lessons away. If our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions around any of the associated company, your company, the companies that you're associated with, how can they go about reaching out to you? Yeah, they they can uh, certainly reach out to Craig at inventorcapital.ca. Uh, and if I don't respond, Kate, uh, my colleague, will get back to them. But, um, yeah, thanks, Rob. No, I really enjoyed that. It was sort of a, I haven't done one of these before, so it's it's interesting to sort of look at how I really think about things. <laughs> yeah. No, and the thing is, uh, and what, I suppose what, I, what, like I said before we went on there, what I wanted the podcast, this podcast to do is really try and get some information from you to teach um not even necessarily less experienced mine engineers or geologists or anyone that's involved in the industry, but it could be even more experienced experienced folk that um, that may be maybe facing some maybe facing some challenges or struggles. And listening to this may give them a little bit of an uplift and maybe then get them thinking about certain certain or give them ideas of current situations that they're in. Um, because hopefully, listening to these podcasts. Um, because obviously I record, record and two go out a week. By listening to them, I want them to pick up pick up information. And if there is if there is challenges that they're facing, they could be listening to a podcast and suddenly something could come into their head uh, to overcome that challenge. Um, mm. So that's what I wanted to get from this. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time and sharing your sharing your journey. No, like, likewise, mate. Really enjoyed that. So thanks very much. Rob. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate your time. And those that are listening, hope you enjoyed that. And there's a lot of lot to take away from there, a lot of lessons to be learned. So appreciate if you can share this episode amongst everyone that you know in the industry, whether they're in Australia, Canada, Africa, Europe, South America. Appreciate if you can just share this episode to others so they can benefit from listening, listening from uh, Craig's experience and his wisdom. So um, until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.